welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. I'm um, your host, Lukna. As you know, if you've listened to any of our other episodes, the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast showing you and giving you insight into the personality of successful sushi adoring entrepreneurs, showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and the grinding. And this week's guest is the amazing Denise Ferguson. And you're going to love this because Denise is a businesswoman who was born an entrepreneur. Just <laughs> out of the womb, straight entrepreneurship. We want to know more about that. She's moved from selling friendship bracelets to negotiating leases for salon owners. She adores helping salon owners to having successful businesses that thrive. Who doesn't want that? Ensuring that they have confidence and all the knowledge to make more profit in their business. But that's not all that she does. She also juggles having a business with being a mother to two teen daughters, her love of running, her passion for eating, or she wouldn't be on our podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and finding adventures in her camper van. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Libna. Oh, it's amazing to have you. So let's dive in with one of the most important questions of the podcast. What's your favorite sushi and why? I'm definitely the raw fish girl. I don't wimp to the, sorry, I'm already calling people a wimp, but I'm not the cooked fish and the chicken kind of girl. So I never know what they're all called. Had a look this morning to make sure I knew exactly what I was always ordering. And nigiri and hasumaki. Yeah. Am I pronouncing them correctly? Yeah. But they're the, they're the ones that I go to first with lots of soy sauce to dip into. Delish. Oh, cool. And cool. And what's but anything with... with raw tuna or salmon's the one I go for first? Tuna, but any. I'm easy. Oh, I love that. Especially the raw fish. I mean, sushi is raw fish. It's the concept of yeah. raw fish. There are many more variations with fried fish, etc. But it, the traditional concept is, of course, raw fish on a variety of rice or in a hand roll or a nigiri or whatever you would like to. So I love that. Did you know that the salmon is actually not Japanese? Really? No, it's Norwegian. Ah, okay. Well, it's delicious regardless. I know, but the first time that I heard that, because I associated salmon in the form of sushi with Japan and Japanese cooking, but then Woon, who does the production of our podcast, said, but no, they imported from Norway, which is very logical because they have a lovely salmon. So it's actually not Japanese, but a fusion. Nice. A fusion. Yeah. They've done well. I agree oh, with their decision to fuse those two together. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Although I love tuna more than I love my salmon. Do you? I know. I, I think I'd pick salmon over tuna, but I would be easy with both. Cool. Well, it's always, always easier to have sushi with someone who's easy in sushi. It's way yeah. better than having someone who has certain specifics. So our next question, we also want to know, when did your love of sushi start? Do you remember that very first yes. time? Yes, I do. Because I come from quite a working class background from a quite industrial town. And there was no such thing as sushi or anything like that. We had kind of probably maybe Indian and Chinese takeaways, definitely Chinese, but maybe Indian was starting to come in as the age where I'm going to tell you the story. But we had nothing in our town at all. It was really, really 
kind of struggling town and I moved to Australia I went traveling throughout Asia and everything but um didn't have anything but very much when I was going through Asia it was the Thai curries and stuff like that like absolutely obsessed with things like that very into my Thai food but it wasn't until I got to Australia that I tried sushi for the first time and I was like raw fish insane I'm not eating raw fish that sounds disgusting so I tried it with um crudite um, raw vegetables and I was like oh, this is delicious yeah, I'll try that and then the chicken the cooked chicken delicious and I thought oh, I'll try raw fish see if I like it obsessed absolutely amazing but I'm like that with everything I think I need to kind of build myself up and then when I love it like I just love it it was gorgeous oh yeah I can totally understand that most of the guests that we've had on the podcast share that it was a while ago it usually involves someone else introducing them to sushi because they never thought about it or they were like me raised in a family where fish had to be cooked or baked or fried but nothing raw my father still looks at me and they said I've done something very wrong in your upbringing that you like raw fish because that just in his mind that's not a connection but yeah, no. Well, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she used to be amazing with sushi. She would eat it all too. And now she doesn't eat it anymore. And it makes me feel very sad. <laughs> yeah, it can either go away. I literally just converted my six-year-old niece. She always said, oh, no, good. no, no, I don't want sushi. I don't want sushi. And now she loves salmon sushi. So yeah, Delicious. I can convert people. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So I love hearing these stories of when the passion for sushi started. So the third question is connected to the purpose of our podcast, which is giving our audience insight into the personality of these entrepreneurs who like or love sushi. So the question that we ask is, if you, your personality, and it could be anything, it could be extroverted, introverted, chaotic, or very neat, however you describe your personality and character, were a sushi, what would the ingredients be and why? So this is your opportunity to build your own sushi. Oh, I definitely think there's a good whack of wasabi in there somewhere. That's bonus points. Yeah, I think so. I can be quite spicy. Um, But yeah, I mean, deep down, I think I'm quite plain and simple. So I think I'd still stick with inagiri. Um, And then quite divisive. So probably the whole raw fish would be quite good. I like to keep things simple, so probably a bit of soy sauce and then a little wasabi on the side for when I get a little bit spicy. Okay. So, I mean, nigiri is a bowl of rice with the ingredient on top. That's a nigiri. So what does the rice represent in terms of your personality? I think it's the basics. It's basics of everything. Just keeping things simple and making sure that you've got a foundation to build things on. Okay. And on top of the nigiri is what fish? specifically when it comes to salmon salmon i think it's quite divisive like some people like it some people don't like it i think that's what people think about me yeah how come because i say what i see and i'm not very good at sugarcoating things so i just like i mean in my brain it's just keeping things simple but i think people like to sugarcoat things and i just don't have that talent so i think I just try and keep things simple and some people like it and some people don't. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) Cool. How about the soy sauce? Well, I think it's a basic. For me, I associate it very much with sushi. I have to have soy sauce with it so that I can dip it in. Sometimes I don't necessarily need it. I like to have the nigiri on its own with the fish, the rice and the fish on its own. But I love to have the soy sauce there in case I'm feeling like I need that kind of salty 
delicious taste with it. Mm, that sounds like the soy sauce is an enhancer of you tell it like it is from simplicity point of view. Yeah, I'll go with you that. Need that. You need that extra punch. Sometimes you just need a good old slap across the face to see the simple things in life. Oh, I love that. And how about the wasabi? Because you like wasabi. What is that? Is that even worse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't need wasabi regularly, but sometimes things just need a little bit of spicing up to get people kind of in the mood, adventurous. So I have days when I feel like life needs a little bit of wasabi on it. I love that. And in your introduction, I read that you like to take on adventures with your camper van. So I totally get the relationship between those two. Yeah, I, I got back from my camper van adventures late last night, so I'm still a bit tired. Oh, <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. So what makes you share that you were born an entrepreneur? Because there are people that say, either you believe that entrepreneurs are born or you believe that anyone can be an entrepreneur. Why do you describe yourself as born as an entrepreneur? So I think it's really interesting when people say that you can become an entrepreneur because my feelings inside my body are that this is just how I was born and there's no other way I could have ever been. I've worked for other people, but sporadically and very, very early into my career and I'm just not a natural suit for it. I'm too spirited. I have too many ideas. I want to kind of progress constantly and that's really you don't necessarily get the opportunities to do that when you're working for somebody else because there's so many different people that you need to kind of bring into the mix and it, my brain doesn't really work like that so being at the helm of everything has just been the way I've always been and I have a million different ideas and even if it's not for my business I have it for other people's businesses too so I run a mastermind too for to help people who are just a couple of steps behind me bring their business forward because my brain constantly thinks about how to help other people too. And that's just how I've always been. When I was younger, you know, six, seven years old, selling friendship bracelets in the playground was my way of kind of seeing a need and fulfilling it. You know, people yeah. wanted to give each other friendship bracelets. Some were really good at creating them. Some were really bad at creating them. I could create them really fast. I would sell them. Awesome. Do you know, and that's just how I think about things. And it's how I've always thought about things. And in my first marriage, my husband, he was the person who always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he doesn't have those natural abilities to be able to continue to run with it and make it into a successful business so I would be behind him you know kind of pushing him along and we still have that kind of relationship which is really sweet he'll call mm. me about ideas that he has and I try and help him and things like that but I just I see other people trying to be entrepreneurs and I don't see that it's as natural to them as I do see it in the people that I think are natural entrepreneurs and their story is always that they were born that way so that's why I see them as different things it's not necessarily that I don't think you can be a business owner but I see an entrepreneur as a different thing okay what do you see as the difference between those two I think it's a spirit within you that it's almost like somebody who has an ability to connect with the dead or read people's minds or you know is yeah. a sports person or 
those natural abilities that you can't necessarily put a, a finger on or you can't necessarily teach somebody else how to be, that's how I see an entrepreneur as. And it's an athlete because they were just built and born that way. A medium, a spirit, a clairvoyant, anything like that. They're that because they were born that way and there's no other way for them to be. And I personally, because that's how I feel inside me, that I just don't have a choice. This is just who I am. That's how I see entrepreneurs as. But maybe it's different for other people. I think we all identify differently. Yeah, no, I can relate to it because as you were making friendship bracelets when you were young and as you were sharing that story it propelled me to my youth and and instantly I had the example of the very first thing that I did as a young girl and I don't remember exactly how old I was but I was younger than 10 years old my father worked at a business where they created posters and stickers for businesses and they all had a very high level of quality because not every sticker was good enough to be sent to the client. So whenever they had access, he would bring it home. And I was looking at that huge box of stickers and thought, what can I do with this? So I looked at my little brother who between him and me is about a year. And I said, what if we go just outside, just in front of our front door and sell them? I automatically don't even remember where I got that from. And I know now that it's genetics because on my mother's side, there are entrepreneurs. There are multiple entrepreneurs. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My uncles were both entrepreneurs before they retired. That's the very first thing that I came up with. Let's sell them. I mean, we don't all need all of these stickers. There are a couple of them are great, but we don't need them. Let's sell them. Not even give them away, but sell them. That's the very first thing that I did as a young girl. So I can relate to for some people, it could come really natural. I mean, unlike you, I can come up with ideas until the cows come home. I mean, just start talking and I will tell you at least five ideas you can implement tomorrow instantly. And I'm yeah. really good at doing that for other people. I could do it for myself, but that's more difficult. But for other people, I can absolutely tap into. So I think that and I do agree with you. I think that some people have natural traits that make them great as an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial because it could also be a trait without being an entrepreneur. And it depends on whether you condition and nurture that it really comes to blossom or that you are forced to put it back into a box to later on in your life discover that that is always who you were natural to be and to tap into that natural flow more. So yeah, absolutely, I love that. So what you do now is you help other salon owners build businesses that thrive. Yeah. Can you give some tips to other entrepreneurs listening in right now that are thinking, God, I could use some infusion of ideas? So I specialize in negotiating the leases for them. So for me, it would always be, first of all, make sure that before you sign the lease, you get it checked over by a surveyor. And everyone always says to go to a solicitor, but they don't seem to know the difference between the two. So a solicitor can make sure you've got a legally binding agreement in place, but a surveyor will make sure that the terms of the lease and the value of the lease, so the rent that you're going to pay, service charge, things like that, are the right amount for your business. And the wording within the lease is absolutely vital. So go to a surveyor when you're looking to open up your own business premises. That's so, so, so important. And Denise, can I ask you a question? Because I think yeah. surveyor might be a word that works in the UK, but we have a global audience. Do you know ah. the equivalent in the US? It's a surveyor in the US too. So the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, we're throughout the whole of the world. So they should be the same everywhere. So okay, cool. anyone who 
is RICS trained would be able to help out completely. So one of the terms that does help, the problem is that we use in the property industry, we use the word surveyor for lots of different things. So you're looking at a property surveyor that can negotiate um, the terms of the leases, not a building surveyor or anything like that. But you'll be able to find somebody in your area that is qualified. So don't worry about that. Um, the other thing that I would say is before you even get anywhere near looking for business premises is know exactly who your ideal client is. And I mean, really, really know them down to what underwear they buy, where they go on holiday, what their children call everything. Know absolutely who that one person in your life that you would love to work with is and tailor all of your marketing and all of your advertising towards that person because I know it sounds counterintuitive but if you really search for the person that you want to work with then you'll find lots of different variations of that person if you think about throughout your life all of your best friends and all of your partners and all of the people that you've met on holidays and stuff like that they may not well not be your ideal partner or your ideal best friend they're variations of those different people and that's what you're looking for in your clients you don't want to work for anyone or work with anyone that you don't resonate with because that's when you'll lose the ability to really love what you do and that's the third thing that I was going to say follow your joy it doesn't matter what you do or who you do it for if you don't love what you do you're never going to be able to do it very well Mm. so you need to adore what you're doing in order to be able to do it successfully because it will shine through in the way that you turn up for your clients they'll see that you love your business and you love what you're doing every single day if it becomes like that Sunday night dread for your business every single day time to get out because you are not showing up right for yourself for your family for your friends or for your clients and it's just not a nice position to be in so they would be my three tips Oh, I love that. So find a surveyor when it comes to our premises. So you know that you're signing the right lease for you. And the second one is make sure that you know your ideal client, not only from a demographic point of view, because that's what most people stop at, but also I'm going to use maybe some jargon here, psychographic, because I love what you shared. Let's think about the people that we resonate with. It wasn't necessarily because they have a certain amount of income or they're men or women, but they are because they are who they are from a psychographic point of view. That's why I love talking about personality and character. That's what draws you to someone, not necessarily how much time they make. The mistake that people make when they look at the demographics of how much people make and where they live is that they then don't think down to the nitty gritty of the psychology behind the reason that somebody would spend their money. And all of us have been in that position where we have been somewhere and it has been presumed that you cannot afford the thing that somebody is selling. And in that instance, nobody knows whether or not that's true or not. Because that £50,000 camper van that you've always wanted your whole entire life may well be your priority that day, regardless of whether or not you've only got £51,000 in the bank. If you go into that with the attitude that that person who's walked through the door cannot afford it and will not be buying it, then you will not sell that day. But if you go with the attitude of that person has an abundance and knows what they want and knows what they need, then you will sell that camper van that day. So 
don't presume anything about your ideal client just sell your service to the person you want to work with